Friends, it's June 29th, 2022. You are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio, and I'm your host, Critch. We got uh, all sorts of stuff going on in the world. We got Roe versus Wade being turned over. And with that, there's... Um, an old op that just resurfaced that is kind of directing focus towards that. So that's one of the things we're going to cover today. Who exactly was Jane Roe? We're going to get into that later in the show. We've got lawsuits piling up against uh, BC COVID-19 COVID mandates. Uh, we're starting to learn that uh, specific <clears throat> companies couldn't run or perform properly without or with the vaccine mandates in place. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of pressure on the fascists that masquerade as liberals in this country lately about um, Brenda Lucky um, <clears throat> pressuring investigators to release what the gun was. We've got Canada signs a $32.9 million contract for a smallpox drug. And uh, Trudeau doubling down on all his statements when it comes to mandates. We're going to go through all of that. But what I want to do first, my friends, is I want to focus on the uh, the lawsuits that are piling up in BC. Because <clears throat> some of these are going to make some headway if you want my opinion. Now, this first article comes to us by way of the Epoch Times. And the, the title reads, Lawsuits Pile Up Against BC COVID-19 Mandates. Uh, this was written by Lee Harding on June 28th, 2022. The province of British Columbia is facing court battles one after another from various parties over vaccine requirements it imposed during the pandemic. The Canadian Constitution Foundation, CCF, filed a legal challenge to the BC vaccine passport regime on September 28, 2021, saying it discriminated against people who could not be vaccinated for medical reasons. Lawyer Jeffrey Trotter, who is handling the case for the CCF, says the province was way too narrow in its list of acceptable medical exemptions from the passport's uh, from the passport and gave no opportunity for recourse. It was a closed list with no opportunity for individualized assessment. Of course, <clears throat> that's good for administrative e efficiency, but it's not good for respecting the constitutional rights of people who can't safely get the vaccine, Trotter said in an interview. 
One plaintiff in the case is a teenage girl who said she developed a heart developed heart inflammation after her first dose of, of the COVID-19 vaccine. Another is a woman who says she experienced nerve damage and partial paralysis in her arm following her first vaccine dose. She subsequently became pregnant and says she was advised by her neurologist not to get a second dose. Another woman who had complex disabilities and was um, contradicted for many medications she's she was was a heightened risk for serious reaction yet was ineligible for an exemption trotter said he was lucky to have been able to advance this case given the procedural barriers unique to bc we couldn't even get the government to file a uh, defense to our petition until we successfully got hearing dates and that's that's a challenge and a slow process in bc he said Basically, you have to wait for one day a month where there's this telephone lottery system and you dial in right at a certain time and keep redialing until you get through and hope you hope that you do get through. Thankfully, we did. How pathetic is that, my friends? So for like real legal challenges against the government in BC, you get one day a month and you got to phone in. This reminds me of, of trying to do a gun transfer after the liberals uh, announced that they were banning handguns in this country. What a gong show. What an absolute gong show. It took me three weeks, three weeks to get through on that line. Well, here it turns out this is a regular practice for uh, provincial and federal governments all, all over Canada to just limit people to a specific phone line. And if you can't, like what was going on with the, the gun line, uh, the transfer part of the gun, the uh, the CFO's office was that you they were getting so many calls and they only have so much, I guess, so much room on their switchboard and you get kicked out. You get kicked out if you're not if you're not one of the originals or, or in that in that group of switchboards. Probably probably ten lines would be my guess for all of Canada panicking to try and get handguns because the fascists that masqueraded as liberals uh, decided to ban them uh, for a crime that was committed in a different country with different weapons. Anyway, frustrating to hear something like that. <clears throat> Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson heard a few vaccine passport challenges in April and May, according to Trotter, who expects, this, who expects the judge to rule on them all simultaneously. The Chief Justice was, clear, very, was clearly very interested in the arguments, he said. I'm hopeful that, as the crisis phase is behind us, courts will be more willing to say that these things did, did go too far and to set some guardrails <clears throat> and to set some guardrails so that if, if and when this happens again, that the emergency orders aren't going to create so much collateral damage. In another case, uh, lawyer Rocco Galati filed a 391-page notice of civil claim with the BC Supreme Court on August 17, 2021, on behalf of 20 plaintiffs who claimed damages due to the province's public health orders. 18 defendants were listed, including BC Provincial Health Officer Bonnie Henry, Federal Chief Public Health Officer Teresa Tam, and other provincial and federal politicians and agencies. Plaintiffs included family members, uh, family members kept from visiting elderly loved ones in care uh, business uh, in in care business owners who um, whose businesses suffered or failed due to restrictions people who people forcibly quarantined patients who say they were denied medical treatment due to their vaccine status and individuals removed from uh, from rides on bc ferries despite having mask exemptions action for canada was, was one of the plaintiffs founder tanya gaw says it was unusually difficult to get the defendants to receive the claim 
I even worked with a process server, and he said in his 30 years of business, he'd never seen anything like it, uh, like it to get it delivered. They just wouldn't accept it. He couldn't, he couldn't get access. Nobody was in the offices, she said. They dragged their heels on who was going to receive the statement of claim and just prolonging it. And when they did finally respond, of course, they responded with a motion to strike down the case. In court proceedings on May 31st, Galati argued that the case should not be struck down. <clears throat> While no ruling has been made on the motion to strike, Ga believes other legal actions, action has already brought changes. She said issuing notices of liability to school boards got many to reverse course on plans to implement mandatory vaccination for students. I believe 100% that filing the statement of claim helped, she said. We think that we will prevail. The Canadian Society for the Advancement of Science in Public Policy, CSASPP, is a nonprofit volunteer-driven organization. Uh, a nonprofit volunteer-driven organization filed a proposed class action lawsuit with the BC Supreme Court in January 2021. This requires petitioning the court to ask that the case be certified as a class action suit. The CSSPP, <coughs> CSASPP has one petition that challenges challenges mandates on behalf of healthcare workers while another cha challenges the vaccine passport. Updates on filings are made regularly on the CSASPP website. <clears throat> Executive Director Kip Warner says Henry tried to have the healthcare workers petition thrown out by arguing that the CSASPP has no standing. After Justin Simon Koval sided with the CSASPP on this point in May, Henry appealed that decision on June 2nd. Chief Justice Hinkson heard the vaccine passport case on May 18th to 20th. The injection passport petition is now over. We're awaiting our ruling. <clears throat> it seemed to go very well, Warner said. We think that will prevail, but you never know. You can't really read the tea leaves until you get the judgment back. But if we do get it back, it will be historic for sure. It'll make international headlight headlines. Hinkson was told that the CSASPP had made many requests for exemption from the vaccine passport. One request included evidence from Dr. Joel Kett Kettner, former Manitoba Chief Medical Officer of Health, which didn't receive a response. Warner said that when Hinkson asked why no responses were given, the Crown Council said we were backlogged. Mm-hmm. The judge said, okay, so because you had a staffing shortage, you suspended the Constitution? Do I have your submission on that? And everybody's jaw dropped in the room. This was the longest, most awkward, painful silence I've ever seen in my life, like maybe 15 to 20 seconds go by. Warner said the Crown Council finally responded by saying it was an emergency, so we were swamped. We did what we had to do. It wasn't pretty, but there, there weren't any options. The Epoch Times emailed Henry for comment, but received no reply. <clears throat> So you got a judge in BC that is actually slapping uh, the BC government right across the face uh, for stomping on the Constitution, and that's very promising, my friends. That's why I'm saying, like, I, I'm watching these cases quite closely because um, it's looking like they're going to make headway, especially if you get justices that are very constitutionally oriented, uh, especially on the provincial supreme level. Uh, they can really take it to provincial governments for doing what they did. Anyway, my friends, we ran a little bit over in the pre-show. Let's get this show started. We'll be right back. Welcome, friends, to Canadian Patriot Radio, where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. 
At CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command. All right, welcome back, my friends. What I want to do next is I want to stay on the vaccine topic, and I want to uh, turn your attention over to an interview that CBC or that uh, Justin Idiot did with CBC. Um, this next one actually comes to us by way of the CBC, which is kind of shocking. And the title reads: Trudeau defends vax mandates, Emergencies Act decisions in an interview. <clears throat> uh, this is by Chris Hall, and it was posted a week ago, roughly on June twenty fourth. Justin Trudeau says people who choose not to get vaccinated against COVID-19 must accept the consequences of their decision, including lost employment and restricted access to transportation and other services. It was their choice and nobody ever was going to force anyone to do something they don't want to do, the Prime Minister said in an interview with CBC Radio's The House airing on on Saturday. But there are consequences when you don't. You cannot choose to put your put at risk your co-workers. You cannot choose to put at risk people sitting beside you on an airplane, Trudeau said, before leaving for an international summits in Africa and Europe right after he got COVID again. And supposedly this coconut has three shots. I, I just can't, you know. I, I don't, like, I'm kind of at a loss for words with this, the fact that he's doubling down. Well, I guess I shouldn't be because he's so stupid. Um, he's just going to go, he's just going to, you know, go where his globalist masters tell him to go. So he's just going to just keep pushing the narrative. Not to mention we know he's invested in, in the lipid nanoparticles of the shots, but <clears throat> I don't think he was smart enough to do that on his own. He was basically pointed in the right, di- right direction for being a frontman meat puppet. Let's carry on. Federal vaccine mandates played a, a major role in last fall's election campaign and proved to be a focus of public anger earlier this year that contributed to the occupation, well, there we go, CBC, uh, let's let's just call it what it was, peaceful protest in downtown Ottawa and blockades at border crossing in four provinces. More protests are planned in the nation's capital over the Canada Day long weekend, even though the federal government lifted most of the restrictions this week. Uh, ex- unless you're unvaccinated. <laughs> Um, you still got a you still got a quarantine for 14 days if you go to the states, come back into Canada. You got to download their tracking app, which they call the Arrive Can app. You got to still just jump into this um, this soft rollout of their digital ID, and uh, you know that's what people are still protesting. You know that you listen to the show, you get that. But they're they're acting like they dropped it for everybody. They didn't. They didn't drop it for if you didn't get their shots, nothing changed. Absolutely nothing changed. With their announcement of the vaccine, the end, of, except for now, you can fly within Canada. You can take a plane, a train, or a, a, <clears throat> a boat in Canada, federally regulated. So that, I guess that's good in a way. You still got to wear a mask on the plane, which is also proven to be completely useless. But whatever. Let's carry on. Trudeau spoke at length during the House interview about the unrest how his government responded to it and whether his own comments referring to the protesters coming to Ottawa as a small fringe minority holding unacceptable views contributed to the anger. No, 
I will always call out unacceptable rhetoric and hateful language wherever I see it. Which the guy spews it. He spews it daily. Like, he, he is unacceptable rhetoric and hateful language. He totally is. With what he said about unvaccinated people. Like, this guy's so... Oh, he's so thick, he doesn't get it. Insisting his remarks in January were never intended for the, the vaccine hesitant, but for those he believes were deliberately spreading misinformation and disinformation. Like what? That the vaccines don't work and they actually, the risks do not outweigh the benefits? Which is now proven by Pfizer's own documents? So who's actually spreading the misinformation about this stuff? I would say he is probably number one offender in Canada. Him and Theresa Tam. And then all your provincial health ministers that pushed them provincially are, are your number one offenders within this country of spreading misinformation about these shots. Like, I think they should be liable for any injuries or death. Personally liable. Personally. I think people need to be suing them personally. <clears throat> now, unfortunately, with our modern social media and communications world, that was picked up and uh, conflated and extended on. Now, I'm not going to start to say I was taken out of context, but my point was that <clears throat> there are people who are deliberately trying to stir up hate and intolerance and misinformation, he added. Oh, God. And we do not, and we do not need to call out those folks even as we continue to do everything we can to reach out in thoughtful, reasonable ways to, pe to people who have worries or concerns and focus on allying with those worries or concerns. Like what? Like the, the fact that the shot just about killed my mom? How are you going to ever convince me to take that poison, just an idiot? I would like you to phone me personally. Phone me personally and convince me to take those shots after watching my mom almost die. Actually, her heart stopped twice. I would like you to actually convince me personally. Trudeau on taking divisive positions. There's more, <clears throat> there's more than a bit of Pierre Trudeau and Justin Trudeau the longer he's in office. There's no public second-guessing and, increasingly, no regrets. Like his father, the younger Trudeau isn't inclined to shrink from po a political fight, including over his de decision to invoke the Emergencies Act. <laughs> what? <laughs> the CBC is saying he's, like, up in front, standing in front of us? No. The guy pretends he has COVID whenever he's got to be out in public now. Now he can't even be in public anymore. Look at what happened to Jagmeet Singh in Brampton <clears throat> from his own countrymen. He couldn't even, he basically couldn't out, be out in public. Like, they chased him back into his car and chased him right off the property for aligning with this, this fascist fuck. The Prime Minister argued in, in the interview that using the powers in the act did nothing to block free speech or peaceful assembly. The line was drawn, he said. It was clear to the government that this was an illegal occupation. Through what? Through lies. Through feeding the media BS, which was picked up by the, the local police and then fed back to the government. An old American trick that we watched for four years straight while, the Trump, while the Trump was in the presidency. And the Canadians are now doing it too. These, these two governments are working hand in hand. You can watch the exact same playbook playing out on both sides of the country. <clears throat> he compared his decision to end the protests and the language he used to condemn those advocating illegal actions to criticism uh, of his decision that every liberal candidate must endorse a woman's right to choose. What? He is such an idiot. So now because Roe versus Wade happened in the U.S., he's actually going to take that stance 
while he's actually forcing experimental medical procedures on the Canadian public and doubling down on it. He talks about Roe versus Wade during that argument. Do you get how stupid this individual is? He, he basically contradicts himself in a sentence. He's so stupid. Holy lick. <clears throat> well, I got accused of being divisive on that because people who believe deeply in being anti-abortion were therefore excluded from my perspective on this, he said. Oh my god. Carrying on. Anytime you're going to take a strong position, especially one that is contested in society, there are going to be people who feel like you are you are strong against them. And what you have to do is have to do every step of the time as a leader is figure out whether or not it is worth the division to stand up on something that you know is right, and whether it's women's rights or the freedom of people to prote- to be protected during a pandemic. Holy how is this guy dumb? You know, there was a time when I thought, well, maybe he just he he acts like he acts like it. He doesn't even understand the hypocrisy in that statement. He went on live radio and said that. Totally not getting that he doesn't he doesn't even understand that he's he's talking about two sides of the same damn coin. My body, my choice is what we're getting to, right? Well, my body, my choice should be extended past abortion. My body, my choice when it comes to experimental medical procedures. How does that sound? And there's a lot of you that stood up for the exact, that exact right, your own bodily autonomy. And seeing that we're talking about abortions, this is kind of a weird, it's a weird conversation for me because we're going to be getting into it later. But I, honestly, I've always been pro-choice. Now, I don't agree with uh, what's going on with aborted fetuses, and I don't agree with the the latest revelations in abortion that basically got Roe versus Wade overturned, which would be killing full term babies, um, <clears throat> going all the the full term the day like the day of, and and that and at the time of birth, uh, being able to say no, you know what, I I changed my mind, I don't want this pregnancy. That that's a human, it's a human uh, man. You know that's what I mean. Like this is a this is a very hot topic, but when realistically, I guess I've always seen it from a I guess I've, I've, I've had the ability to see it from a woman's perspective in the sense that uh, there are a lot of conditions that, um, you know, young, t- young teenage pregnancies or unwanted pregnancies, rape, uh, conditions with the pregnancy that, that would warrant, in my opinion, um, <clears throat> the option for it. Um, it. You know, this doesn't, nothing changes in Canada. Um, there's, it's still, it's still, and actually nothing for that matter changes in the U.S., uh, you've got you've got red states that will immediately ban it, which some of them already have. But uh, up here, nothing has changed. Um, so it's weird that he's he's taking this stance during the fact that uh, during questioning about the fact that he stripped people of their right to choose when it comes to vaccines. And he's he's still t- holding this this stance that oh I didn't force you to, but I'm just going to strip you of of everything the the right to make a living and everything like that until you get this globalist poison into your arm. Formal reviews are now underway into the reasons behind the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act for the first time, and as with the decision itself, these hearings are not without controversy or drama. Public Safety Minister Marco uh, Medicino. I finally am starting to say that right. I still, I call him smirk guy, as you guys know. Told the parliamentary, and and by the way, I absolutely love the fact that he's in the hot seat. I've been watching question period, and I'm loving the fact that the conservatives are just 
pouring it to him. They were for a couple days there, like basically demanding that he steps down because he lied. He and he did. They all did. But he's the one that is at the forefront. Public Safety Minister Marco Medicino told the Parliamentary Committee in April that the act was invoked on the advice of police. Since then, two other cabinet members, Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair and Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland, told the same committee they didn't hear recommendations from police to enact the Emergencies Act. I'm not aware of any recommendation of law enforcement, Blair said. Trudeau, who was at, Trudeau was asked who's right. We had a range of advice from justice, from public safety, from various areas, he said. But if you think about the specific tools, one of the concrete complaints was that was tow truck drivers weren't willing to send in their rigs at the cost of being outed or harassed by these protesters. Was that, was that, was that what tipped the balance? Well, no, I said, okay, what are the, what are the tools to get the tow truck drivers to do that? And we saw that one of the only tools we had that was going to be effective in a time frame necessary to bring was to bring in the Emergencies Act. So they, he's literally admitting they brought in the Emergencies Act to get tow trucks downtown because the drivers were scared of being outed and their businesses being ruined, which <clears throat> probably happened anyway. That's, that's the excuse he's using so that he could confiscate people's bank accounts, act like the way he truly is and be a complete fucking fascist and confiscate your accounts and throw you in jail with no fucking charges as a political prisoner, just like Tamara Litch. And now she's going, she's has to go back to Ottawa for more charges. Holy smokes. Let's carry on. Opposition MPs are demanding full access to the, to the decision-making process before the act was invoked. But witnesses, including RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky and CSIS Director David Vinell, have told them that they don't have the power to disclose their conversations or advice to Cabinet. Why not? These are public officials. These are all publicly paid officials by taxpayers. We have the right to all of this. Secrecy is not that... The minute you have secrecy, you are afraid of what's going to come out. That's it. That's all it's ever been. Secrecy is always black projects... Uh, stuff you're not supposed to be doing and lies you're trying to cover up and criminal activity that you're involved in. That's all secrecy in government ever is, ever was, ever will be. That's all it is. The government should be 100% transparent, including uh, who, who each member of parliament is receiving monies from. <clears throat> uh, I can't speak specifically to any advice that was... Uh, that was done in cabinet lucky told the committee last month when pressed whether her force had suggested the act be enforced she also deferred when asked if situational reports on what was happening would be publicly released saying those reports belong to the government no they do not there would be an rcm for rcmp version two but the rcmp version since the high river gun grab has now gone into secrecy about all their police reports as well uh they've gotten extremely shady since that happened they don't report near the stuff that they should. And that's why you have a gunman that makes it for, what, 27 hours shooting people in Nova Scotia? That's how, that's how that happens. You release a, a statement on Twitter and think that that's going to cut it? That's why people in the morning are going out for their morning jogs and getting fucking pasted because you idiots didn't fucking do your jobs. The Prime Minister told the House that the government will release those situational reports and what he called the reality that we were facing across the country. 
but demands that he waive the long-standing practice of maintaining comp ca- uh, but demands that he waive the long-standing practice of maintaining cabinet confidentiality will not be met. He said to ensure ministers have the confidence to speak freely on matters of national importance. Like I said, there's no reason for secrecy in government, especially when you're dealing with your own public. There's absolutely no excuse for secrecy. This should be 100% transparent. It should be demanded by every single citizen of Canada. All of it. All of it needs to come out. All of it. And you know why they're going to keep covering up? Because it's the end of his government. They had no right, no reason... To bring in the Emergencies Act. The absolutely none. The the uh, blockades at the border were already cleared. One of them at Coots was pretty dirty what they did uh, by by blaming a, a completely unconnected crime on the protesters. Uh, not necessarily a crime, but a person of interest that they happened to raid and uh, confiscate his guns. And then they, they broke... It. The initial story was that it was the protesters... And then it changed within, what, 24, 48 hours. They admitted, no, it had nothing to do with the protesters. But they ran with that story. And that cleared the coots blockade because the people that were there didn't want to be in, in that type of, of situation. Oh, boy. Wasn't that interesting? Like, this guy, he, he's, he's, he, at this point, he must know he's completely effed. He must know he's fucked. Like, there's just no way. Like, to, to, to carry on with this narrative and then just to, to completely uh, <clears throat> to completely contradict yourself in your own statement, you're actually saying it and contra- contradicting yourself through abortion and then vaccine mandates, or through, uh, yeah, vaccine mandates, that's, that's staggering. Um, <clears throat> like I said before, I, I always thought he was a little bit smarter than this. Now I'm starting to see that he actually is this stupid. Okay, since we touched on the topic of Nova Scotia, let's get into this because Brenda Lucky herself is in a lot of hot water over this. Now, this one comes to us by way of the Toronto Star, and the title reads, Canada's top mounting Nova Scotia's mass shooting probe and some missing pages. Here's what we know so far. This is written by Steve McKinley on Sunday, June 26, 2022. Halifax, as controversy, controversy swirls around the RCMP, the Liberal government, and allegations of interference in the investigation of the worst mass shooting in the country's history, missing RCMP documentation is the latest development to take center stage. RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky this week faced accusations she was sought she sought to interfere with the Nova Scotia Mounties investigation into the province's 2020 massacre potentially at the behest of then Public Safety Minister Bill Blair and Prime Minister o- and the Prime Minister's office to grease the wheels for upcoming gun control legislation. Lucky, Blair, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau have denied that there were any interference with the Nova Scotia investigation. On Friday, the RCMP and the Department of Justice, by extension, faced scrutiny for initially removing pages from the subpoenaed documents that recorded Lucky's anger at the Nova Scotia RCMP's refusal to release details about the guns involved in the shooting. The Nova Scotia Mounties had said uh, doing so would compromise their investigation. The missing pages, which described Lucky telling Nova Scotia, uh, co- the Nova Scotia contingent that she'd promised the Public Safety Minister and the PMO the gun de- details would be released. Uh, were only handed over in the inquiry in May of this year, three months after the RCMP have provided the same documents without those pages. Here's what's happened so far and what's likely to happen next. What's the controversy? What's the controversy exactly? Days after the mass shooting that saw 22 people killed by a gunman in northern Nova Scotia, there was a meeting between the 
between National and Nova Scotia RCMP. Notes from that meeting, released this week by, by the public inquiry, now reviewing the tragedy, show it included RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky and from the Nova Scotia side, Assistant Commissioner Lee um, Berger, Bergerman. And uh, uh, the province's commanding officer, uh, Superintendent Daryl Campbell, and Strategic uh, Communications Director Leah Scanlon. In press briefings to that point, Nova Scotia RCMP had withheld specifics on the weapons used by the gunmen, saying that identifying the specific guns would compromise the investigation. At the meeting, Lucky was obviously upset that Nova Scotia RCMP had not released the specifics. Campbell's handwritten notes indicate... The commissioner accused <clears throat> accused us of disrespecting her by not following her instructions, his note said. At the time, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government was in the process of pushing through an order in council that would ban the sale of 1,500 models of assault-style firearms. Campbell's notes indicate that when he attempted to explain the reasoning for not releasing this information, <clears throat> excuse me, Lucky said, we, the Nova Scotia RCMP, didn't understand that this was tied to pending gun control legislation that would make officers and public safe and the public safer by or through this legislation. This was tied. Nobody's focusing on the fact that this was all an op, if you want my honest-to-God opinion. The shooting was an op. The guy was an operative for the RCMP. The guns were American guns that came across the border illegally. So what the fuck is banning uh, guns owned by legal Canadian gun owners going to do about crime. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What this is going to do, this and the handgun ban, is it's going to make the black market for handguns and assault assault weapons in Canada fucking explode. That's what's going to happen. It'll be way easier now, my friends, to get an illegal firearm in this country thanks to these idiots. Because they were already coming across in droves to the gangs in Toronto and, and to criminals all over the place in this country. They're just, they, they're just, they're, they're so fixated on disarming patriotic Canadians that they don't even understand that their actions are going to cause reactions. And actually probably now, because every single Canadian that, that was enjoying the fact that you could hunt and shoot and, and any, whatever you did with these firearms, most of it was target shooting. Yes, it was. Uh, you guys have heard me explain that in, in my, on my ranch, uh, I have to play the role of executioner sometimes. That's just the way it is when you've got animals. Well, I have learned through trial and error that a 12-gauge shotgun or a 45 ACP are your two most effective firearms. I will always own a 45 ACP because of that reason. <clears throat> anyway, let's carry on. In an interview with the Mass Casualty Commission in February of this year, Scanlan also uh, expressed frustration, saying Tony, saying uh, Blair and Trudeau were weighing in on what we could, what we could and could not say in press briefings. This is 100% Minister Blair and the Prime Minister, she said, and we have a commissioner that does not push back. The notes from, the, from that conference seem to indicate that Lucky was willing to interfere with RCMP operations, the investigation of the mass shooting, to advance gun control agenda championed by the Prime Minister's office by, and by the Public Safety Minister at the time, Blair. Based on Lucky's comments, as reported by Campbell, it appears she was taking her marching orders from Blair and from the PMO. 
If true, that's problematic because it compromises the principle of operational independence, a central tenet of uh, policing that dictates that politics should never dictate or direct police operations. In principle, it's a noble concept. In practice, its it's definition is somewhat fuzzy. Lucky said late Thursday that she would never take action that was that would jeopardize an investigation. Yet she did. It's in the notes of the officers. Blair, <clears throat> now the emergency preparedness minister, denied that Lucky had ever promised him that the RCMP would release specific information about the guns. He also denied that he told anyone what the RCMP should communicate about their own investigation. Lies. 100% lies. This guy is pff, this guy's a complete waste of skin. He's a liar, so is Trudeau, all of them. Now Brenda Lucky is too. Trudeau, speaking from a Commonwealth Summit in Rwanda, said Thursday there was no undue influence or pressure because he's believable. The guy's lied his entire fucking political career. There was no undue influence or pressure put on the RCMP in the days following the mass shooting and that only police determined what information uh, to release and when. Lucky's tenure atop the RCMP has not been without controversy. In 2020, she drew criticism for saying she had struggled over the definition of systemic racism and its existence in her police force. Shortly thereafter, she she changed tact and acknowledged that systemic racism was indeed present in the RCMP, drawing the ire of some members. That same year, the BC Civil Liberties Association filed a lawsuit against her for delaying the release of, of a civilian watchdog report into the RCMP spying on Indigenous cl- and climate advocates and a series of on-camera incidents sparking allegations of excessive use of force by RCMP officers prompted then-Chief of Assembly of First Nations Perry Bellegarde to call for her replacement. Trudeau said this week he still has confidence in Lucky to lead the RCMP. His support echoed that of... of current public safety minister Marco Medicino and Blair well of course of course they're gonna keep her there she does exactly what they want on June 15th 2021 the mass casualty commission issued a subpoena to the RCMP for its entire investigative file related to the mass shooting Eight months later, on February 14th, 2022, 2022, as part of that file, the RCMP overturned their notes of senior RCMP officers, including Campbell's handwritten notes covering the period from April 19th, 2020 to June 16th, 2020. Campbell's notes covered 132 pages. Holy. Campbell was in the habit of writing the date in large numbers across the page uh, in his notes like this, 2020-04-27. In those, in those notes turned over by the RCMP in February, his, his dates jumped from 2020-04-27 to 2020-04-29. April 27th, 2020, and April 29th, 2020, and no April 28th in between. April 28th, 2020 was the date of the conference with Lucky, during which Campbell's notes reflected Lucky being upset about Campbell not releasing specific information on the guns in the mass shooting and noting her saying that she had promised the public safety minister and the PMO that she would do so. More than three months later, on May 31st, 2022, the commission received another batch of documents from the Department of Justice, which again included Campbell's handwritten, handwritten notes. This time, the notes numbered 136 pages and included the four pages of Campbell's notes, which from the conference with Lucky dated, as was his habit, with 2020-04-28 written across the page. 
The commission sought an explanation from the, Depart the Department of Justice why four pages were missing from the original disclosure of uh, Superintendent Campbell's notes. The Mass Casualty Commission investiga Investigations Director Barbara McLean said in a statement on Friday. The commission is also, de is also demanding an explanation for any further material that has been held back from disclosure, um, disclosed material for privilege or, or, other, <clears throat> or other review uh, where the fact that this has occurred is not clear on what has been produced to the commission. In short, the commission is seeking assurance that nothing else has, has been held back as per direction from the subpoenas. RCMP did not respond to a request from the star seeking an explanation on, on the missing pages. What do the victim's families think? Our clients are understandably troubled by what, what they heard. Michael Scott of Patterson Law, which represents most of the families of the victims of the shooting, said in a statement this week, in the days following April 19th, 2020, <clears throat> all efforts should have been focused on supporting victims, their families, and active and the active investigation being carried out by the local RCMP. Interfering with those efforts to exploit a perceived political opportunity or otherwise would have been inexcusable. We trust that the Mass Casualty Commission recognizes the importance of determining the truth of these allegations and the need for fulsome cross-examination of the relevant witnesses. Ooh, they're not going to get out of that one, are they, my friends? Campbell and Lucky are scheduled to appear as witnesses as the Mass Casualty Commission inquiry is co in coming months, as are the Assistant Commissioner Lee uh, Bergerman, <coughs> the, the province's commanding officer at that time, Chief Superintendent Chris Leather, who was the critical uh, incident commander the weekend of the shootings. But a parliamentary public safety committee has also called upon many of the same players to testify as it digs into the allegations of political interference into the RCMP investigation. Lucky and Blair are required to appear before the committee no later, no later than July 25th, and Campbell and Scanland are being called as well. Also tapped for tes testimony before the, uh, before the committee are Ber uh, Bergerman and Leather. So there you go. There's kind of a full breakdown of what... <clears throat> What we kind of have uh, seen and transpire with Brenda Lucky and, and, and what we know, what we honestly know. The fact that there was a payout to the shooter from the RCMP, like, come on. Like, we're, we're just going to pretend that that didn't happen? That, 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 that the guy was paid large sums of money right before this happened? The guy had perfectly deckled uh, RCMP replica cruisers? The guy had the actual outfits of the RCMP? Come on. You're not fooling anybody. You can't, you're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. And then to have this order in council banning AR-15 assault rifles. And I, you guys have heard me say this on the show before. I got my letter in the mail about my AR within a week of the shooting. They, this was all planned, all of it. Including the shooting. Do you think that the Canadian government and the RCMP are above killing innocent people to get their fucking... Uh, <clears throat> their legislation through to disarm you. I don't. I personally don't. That's my opinion. So take it or leave it. But I personally don't think that they are above that. I think this is a criminal institution. All of it. It's a criminal cabal that answers to globalist filth. All of it. Do you honestly believe that these people wouldn't kill innocent people to disarm you from sh so that you can't shoot back at them when they're going to do something that you'd shoot at them for? Nope. Not for one second. Okay, my friends, we're going to switch away from our corrupt politicians and uh, top officials of our police force, and we're going to uh, 
we're going to actually do something we don't do very much on this show. Um, when I first started this podcast, I said that I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really focus on the QOP too too much, but. Uh, Recently, the QOP has resurfaced, and it's uh, it's very interesting to say the least. The timing, right? Um, <clears throat> but there are there are a couple. Um, there's one in particular that I want to cover. Uh, one Q drop that uh, that happened on June 25th that um, they were focusing on Roe versus Wade, and and th- I'll read you the drop. It basically says, "Who was Jane Roe? How do you control generations of a populace?" 50 years of conditioning, 50 years of propaganda, 50 years of lies, peaceful protests, riots, summer of love, redo. What happens when you come, when you corner an animal midterms, D in brackets, power implosion. So, uh, Democrat power implosion, but it's that first sentence that I really, that really caught my attention. Who was Jane Roe? Well, what we are going to do, my friends is we're going to focus on this. Um, cause I don't, I, you know, I've always heard Roe versus Wade, but I honestly didn't know who Jane Roe was. And if you're like anything like me, I, you probably didn't either because we've, this, this Supreme court ruling was standing for as long as we've been alive. Most of us, or, or shouldn't say, you know, close to as long as we've been alive. Um, so what I did was I did some digging and it turns out there was a documentary that was released two years ago on Jane Roe, um, who actually is, um, what's her real name here? Norma McCorvey. And uh, Norma McCorvey uh, did some seriously, serious flip-flopping when it came to this topic. So what we're going to do is we're going to listen to um, a broadcast from EWTN that was broadcast two years ago uh, about this this actual topic and about Jane Roe, who she was and and kind of uh, about her life. And the fact that she did some deathbed confessions, uh, basically claiming <clears throat> that she <clears throat> was paid um, by pro pro life uh, pro life institutions or or organizations uh, to do all of this. So anyway, let's get into this this clip, and we will talk about it after, my friends. Pro-life leaders are speaking out after FX premiered the AKA Jane Roe documentary, which included a so-called deathbed confession from Norma McCorvey, in which she claimed she was paid by pro-life groups to say things she did not believe about opposition to abortion. McCorvey, who died in 2017, was the Jane Roe in the landmark 1973 Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion nationwide. The McCorvey never ultimately did procure an abortion. This is my deathbed confession. <laughs> These two attorneys were looking for a plaintiff to help overturn the Texas abortion laws. That was Roe versus Wade. Um, Norma McCorvey, AKA Jane Roe. While McCorvey was originally a prominent abortion advocate, she eventually converted to Christianity, became a pro-life figure, and then entered the Catholic Church in 1998. Pro-life leaders were quick and vocal to respond to the release of the FX documentary, saying Norma's portrayal didn't match up with the Norma they knew. Abby Johnson, who says she spoke to McCorvey days before her death, writes, Her many years as a dedicated pro-life advocate was not a lie. Her tearful conversation, which I will keep private with me days before her death, was not a lie. The hours she spent praying in front of abortion facilities was not a lie. Her life with Christ was not a lie. The abortion industry is a lie. And Janet Marana of the Silent No More Awareness Campaign 
wrote in the Christian Review she met McCorvey in 1995 during her conversion to Christianity. Marana writes, quote, Norma was exploited as a young woman by pro-abortion attorneys, and she was exploited at the end of her life by this filmmaker and whoever was backing him financially. That breaks my heart. But whatever she said in this documentary or appeared to say through deceptive editing does not shake my certainty that Norma's desire to protect children in the womb was not an act. Joining us now is Jason Jones, a film producer and pro-life leader who personally knew Norma McCorvey. He joins us via Skype from Hawaii. Jason, welcome back to the show. I never had the privilege of meeting Norma. So first off, tell us about the Norma McCorvey that you knew. Well, Catherine, thanks for having me on your show. And to know Norma, to know Miss Norma, was a real privilege. She was a convert to the Catholic faith like I am, an adult convert. But she had a com she was comfortable in her faith like a cradle Catholic. She had the best sense of humor. You would never spend any time with Miss Norma, and, and, and she would always have you laughing. She'd always be making jokes. She, had, um, she was a very complex person, but also very transparent. Most of us have affectations that we'll put on. Um, if, if we're angry, if we're confused, we'll hide it. Miss Norma would let you know how, how, how she felt. And that's why so many of us who were her close friends, when we heard uh, about this documentary and what they, what they claimed that she said, we all laughed. I mean, I knew I laughed and said, of course she, did. she said that. Um, that. That was Miss Norma, but mm -hmm. it, it was not a lie. Of course, she was, she was uh, very committed and very pro-life and, and a very devout Catholic. Jason, as you mentioned, Norma was a convert to Catholicism, such as yourself. Her Catholic conversion was barely mentioned in this film, though her Christian conversion was. But what can you, Jason, tell us about Norma's faith life? Well, I think what, what most struck me as somebody who uh, is an adult convert, uh, always kind of felt alien, especially early on in my conversion, as someone who was raised with no religion uh, and, and uh a broken family, I did not feel comfortable in Catholic settings. And what I always noticed with Norma was that she had a familiarity with her faith. She wore her faith like somebody who was a cradle Catholic. And she didn't feel the need like a lot of converts to put on this affectation that they're something they're not. She was just always Norma. And uh, she, uh, mm -hmm. you know, one time after she first heard my story, she took me aside and comforted me and was very empathetic. And she had an empathy that only somebody who experienced a lot of pain in life could have. And um, I think that's what the document, as a filmmaker, what the docu the two things that struck me when I was watching this documentary, one was how, how much I missed my friend. It was kind of hard just to um, not just want to look, look at Norma and listen to Norma's voice and hear her voice. But then I realized they missed a big opportunity. She was a very complex person. Mm -hmm. She wrestled with mental illness. And you could tell that the filmmakers got a glimpse of this complexity, but they chose not to, to tell the true story of Miss Norma. Uh, like Janet Marana said in her, her statement, the abortion industry was there to use her when she was young. They used her in death. But we were the ones who were her friends and were with her during her life. Mm. Jason, to that point, did pro-lifers take advantage of Norma during her life from your perspective? No, you know, we didn't intentionally take advantage of her, but I think we learned something in the 90s. Uh, it was in the 90s that we started having people tell their stories. 
I started in the pro-life movement in, in 1989, and it wasn't until 2000 that I first publicly shared uh, that I was responsible for an abortion. That was 11 years into the movement. Mm -hmm. So I think we really were starting to encourage people to share their personal stories, but we weren't sensitive to maybe um, their brokenness. And so I think we were naive. Mm -hmm. But as a movement, as we began to understand that Norma was struggling, uh, we, we became better at in trying to work with Norma and let her express herself without doing it so in a way that would hurt her. Where with the abortion industry, we see that they target her when she was young and vulnerable. They abandoned her in her life. And then they were there again to use her after she passed away. And I see this like the wisdom of Solomon when the two uh, women were fighting over the child. And Solomon said, I will divide, you know, I'll cut this child in half and give you each a half. And, and if the abortion industry wants to cut Miss Norma in half, who is a very beautiful, complex person, well, then I would say let them have her because we don't want to, we don't want to engage in a public battle. We don't want to dissect Miss Norma. We loved her and she was our friend, and I think it's just it was shameful for her to be used in this way. Jason, you are a film producer yourself. Just so our viewers know, you were an executive producer on Bella, for example. Uh, from that perspective. What do you make of the filmmakers releasing this documentary three years after Norma's death? And was it fairly produced? No, I mean, clearly they have an agenda, right? The Supreme Court's about to, a ruling is going to come down in the coming weeks on abortion, maybe the biggest since Roe v. Wade. We have an important election year. This film has an agenda. And as a filmmaker who I, I make films and when we make films, our goal is that people leave the theater having an, uh, an elevated understanding of the beauty of the human person. But we don't want to be propagandists. You know, you choose a story that, that works as an exemplification. And this wasn't even good propaganda. Uh, the reality is you could see glimpses of the real Norma and her struggles in this film. And she's a very interesting person. And I, you know, now I'm inspired. I would hope to see somebody makes a documentary on Miss Norma that shows the beautiful, complex person she is. I mean, I think the real story that could have been Miss Norma's battle with mental illness, how tragic it is that a young woman, a young woman, not a young lawyer, a young woman who had been abused physically and sexually and had suffered and struggled in so many ways, was poor and vulnerable. And then even if you're pro-abortion, you could see how tragic it was that this poor young woman became the center of the most controversial Supreme Court decision in U.S. history, and it was all weighing on her shoulders and how that impacted her. That's where the really interesting story could have been, and that and uh, that's the movie, that, the documentary they could have made. And I think FX missed a great—they uh, had a great chance to make a beautiful story and tell the truth, but instead they made a— a cheap hit job, and, and I was really worried it was going to be a hit job on the pro-life movement. And you watched it, Catherine. When I watched it, it was actually worse. It was clearly a hit job on Miss Norma, and they're trying to muddy her legacy so that her name can't be used uh, to defend children and women from the violence of abortion. You bring you bring such a powerful perspective to this conversation, Jason. And I, I do want to note this for our viewers. We did reach out to FX for comment, but did not hear back by show recording time. Jason Jones, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So through 
through the uh, reestablished QOP, we are starting to learn that um, Jane Roe had actually flip-flopped on the on her decision when it comes to Roe versus Wade. Now, she was exploited by the uh, pro-abortion movement. I think I might have said pro-life movement uh, before the interview, but if you really want my opinion, it was she was exploited by the pro pro-abortion movement and kind of thrust into the limelight uh, um, as the advocate for for their side. And um, you know, to flip-flop on that, uh, um, you know what she what she had kind of said in her confessions was, you know, that she was paid to do it and so on and so forth. Um, it just kind of shows the. I guess the greasy stuff that um, the globalists would do, or let's just go uh, the eugenicists would do, um, <clears throat> to further some of their some of their uh, behaviors. Right now, like I like I said at the start of the show, I'm I'm this is kind of a tough one for me because I've kind of always fallen on the more uh, uh, pro pro choice uh, side of of things when it comes to this. Like I just I, I just think that. Uh, <clears throat> There are situations and and uh, there are times in life where a pregnancy is just not doable for for uh, women in in specific times in their life. And like we said, there are specific conditions, uh, rape or or if the child has uh, is unhealthy in the womb, um, <clears throat> or you get told it's Down syndrome or whatever. There could be a multitude of things that you could be told with your pregnancy. Uh, and I've always kind of seen that in that through that perspective. That okay, well I you know. Uh, it's it's um, it's something that I think is is positive to have as a as a last resort. I, I don't I don't support using it as a as a contraceptive method uh, or like just you know go ahead and you know I, I think there needs to be more planning when it comes to to, to that uh, by both men and women. I think uh, that's that <clears throat> if you're going to engage in 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 sexual intercourse, you've got to be planning for the what ifs. And uh, <clears throat> I just think a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> maybe find this just a little bit too easy you know um but i don't know like i i don't want to i don't want to pick really pick one side of this this debate or the other i've never really seen it as as the the fiery debate as you see a little bit more south of the border um i've always just kind of been well i I guess you know for a lot of people it's it's a it's a big deal (laughs) but excuse me it is nice to it is nice to have the QOP back on the scene. That is going to uh, probably turn up the fire for for uh, the globalists because they they couldn't the only only way they stopped this last time was to hijack it. And we got a lot of revelations out of the QOP um, during the last the last round when uh, when it was active. So this should be very interesting, considering that we see right now that the world is is in the clutches of the globalists, even though their narratives are falling apart around them they're still marching them forward which is clearly evident with that front man uh meat puppet trudeau doubling down on all his stupid decisions <clears throat> you know I, I, it's just uh it'll be interesting to see what the QOP has to tell us in a situ in in when the tables have basically been turned on us and we don't have a, any leaders in the free world speaking for us like we had with trump <clears throat> Anyway, my friends, that's probably where we'll end this one. So, like always, I'm sorry for the delay in shows. Um, <clears throat> just a lot going on. Uh, I'm right on the verge of hanging here, so it might be it might be one week or one show a week for a little bit more, for a little bit longer. But I will try and get out as many as poss- as I possibly can with how busy I am. But like always, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook. It's Canadian Patriot Radio. Uh, use the message button for anything that you want, whether it be uh, complaints. 
Uh, compliments. I, I actually take complaints better than compliments. I'm one of those people. <laughs> if you compliment me, I'm always like, ah, okay, sweet. And if you complain to me, I'm like, okay, all right, let's deal with this. <clears throat> but anything, just anything you want. If you've got something that you think would be good on the show, send it my way. If you prefer emails, CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. And then if you want to go on, uh, join the Telegram room, it is CPR underscore uh, t.me backslash CPR underscore two. <clears throat> and if none of that is the way you want to go, then visit the website, which is CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. Like always, thank you so much for tuning in, my friends. And it's only word of mouth that the show gets out. There's no profit being made from it or anything like that. So just share it wherever you see fit. <clears throat> Make sure you, your, your friends are aware of it. And uh, anybody that you think needs to hear uh, some common, a common sense approach on, on the craziness in Canada and our world right now, then point them towards the show. That'd be much appreciated. Until next time, my friends, in all thy sons command. joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care. <laughs>